Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's show, Julia Lee kicks off talking about what she likes and what she doesn't like right now with the stock market under a fair bit of pressure. I get her also to look at four companies, IDP Education, Web Central, Electro Optic uh, Systems, and finally Megaport to see whether she thinks they're in the buy zone right now. I then ask uh, Adam Dawes, of uh, Sean Partners to look at the same stocks. And splitting those two uh, experts, I've got Chris Joy. Now, Chris is going to look at his analysis about when and will the stock market crash and also house prices. I call it my Chris Joy and his nightmare on Wall Street interview. And uh, it's very interesting to see what he thinks about why the market should crash. But the timing of when that happens is certainly up for debate. That's the program for tonight. Let's kick off now with Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. Let's just run through the four stocks I threw at you before I ask you what you currently like and don't like. and I, I have told people we're going to get you to, to run your eye over it. I wasn't sure whether you've actually mentioned IDP education in the past. Yeah, I, I like IDP education. Um, we hold it in the portfolio. And look, these prices, I think it's a good time to look at starting to nibble away at IB, IDP education. For anyone that's not familiar with the business, um, basically they get international students into universities and they also do English testing. One of the things that I like about this business is that through the COVID period where the business has been impacted, they made a very smart acquisition in India. And it's not only that acquisition that means uh, and the integration of that business that I like, but I like that they've actually managed to improve on the business. The margins coming through from that India acquisition are much higher than uh, a couple of years ago, which is nice to see. So this is one of those companies where I think because we are seeing rising interest rates and the cost of capital increasing, we have seen uh, multiples coming down and it does have a very high multiple. It trades on a multiple of over 40 times. But I think that post-COVID, as things start to move and they are now, that this is one of those companies that's going to be bigger and better than it was before uh, before COVID hit. Okay. What about Web Central? I think a lot of these companies, um, Pete, are in the high growth category. So for a lot of investors that are, are watching out there, it's not that I don't like these businesses, it's just that I probably wouldn't be investing in these businesses at this part of the economic cycle. And we're in that part of the cycle where interest rates are starting to rise. The cost of capital is rising, which means that future growth is becoming more expensive and it's being discounted a lot more. And that means that investors are shunning those high growth areas. And so the tech sector is one area that's been hit hard. Now, WebCentral has been around for a long time. I think it was 1997 it was founded. It sells domain names, it hosts websites, it helps build websites as well. But I just feel that in the type of macro environment that we're in, um, it's just going to be hard investing in these type of companies, especially if they don't pay a dividend um, and, you know, profit moves around from year to year. So I think this is a very small company, um, but just where we are in terms of the cycle, you know, if I was holding it, I'd only hold a little bit, but I'd probably avoid uh, companies like this at this stage of the cycle. Okay, what about Electro Optic Systems, EOS? 
Yeah, this is an interesting one. It's in the defense area, satellite area, as well as space. So it looks at things like space debris, it looks like satellite communications, as well as uh, remote uh, weapons uh, systems as well. And uh, we know that there's a lot of geopolitical conflict at the moment, which might be a plus from the defense side, but just in terms of this financial year and probably the next financial year as well, we probably aren't going to see a profit from this company, which means that in the type of environment that we're in at the moment, it's going to be difficult for the shares to get ahead. But watch the defense part, you know, companies like this, sometimes it's all about the contracts that they win. And if they start to get a bit of momentum in terms of new contracts that they win, then the share price will follow. But at the moment, it does look like it's going to be a tough 12 to 18 months ahead of this business. Okay, one last one. And it is in the tech space, a company called Megaport. I think, you know, I've talked about in the past, it has all the problems of being a tech company, but for someone who, who would like to buy and hold and wait for it to come good, is it, is it a buy? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, um, Peter. I guess what we have see with markets in the type of environment that we're in at the moment is that we do see timeframes being shortened. So people aren't willing to wait for that growth. They want to either see that growth happening now or over the next year. But if that growth is forecast to come any further out than that, then the shares are being uh, very, um, very severely uh, hammered. Um, so it's a difficult environment, but then if you're a longer term investor, there's certainly opportunities uh, in the type of market that we're in. So if you can see through the short term nature of a lot of um, what's happening in terms of the market and you can actually ride out the cycle, then there's no problem in accumulating high quality businesses like Megaport, where we are still seeing that shift to the cloud. They've had that first mover advantage. They've got some very strong relationships there as well. But if you're hoping for a return in the shorter term, then it's going to be a much more painful and volatile ride. So, you know, we've seen that already over the first few months of 2022. We are likely to see, you know, a bit of a reversal. But if you're a shorter term investor, you know, that's probably a time to look at uh, getting rid of some of the more higher growth names because it does look like the cycle has turned um, and it's just going to be a bit more difficult in terms of growth over 2022 um, and probably the time to look at these growth type of companies is next year. Yeah. I often say to people who want to play that game, consider yourself like a startup business. It takes a long time before you start really getting in the fast lane, but if you want to do it, as long as there's quality there, you can do it. Um, one, one last thing. Have there been any new companies that you've added to your fund over the course of the week? Uh, we haven't really added uh, to new companies. Uh, we ha have added to positions. I mean, it's bank reporting season at the moment. So mm. we've added to our NAV position and it's paying a dividend on Wednesday. But look, the banks um, in the past couple of years have been really sold down heavily because net interest margins have been under pressure. And now we're seeing an environment where, you know, we've probably seen a bottom in those net interest margins because interest rates are now going up and we're going to see that margin environment improving. So, look, we've seen Westpac coming out with its result today um, in a market which was pretty difficult and a lot of red on the board. Westpac was one of the, the big gainers on mm -hmm. the market. So certainly the big four banks are doing relatively well. I guess the caveat is just watch out for the growth profile and the hit to property from those rising interest rates. But for the time being, it looks like a bit of a sweet spot for the big banks. Yeah, and, and I'm sure tonight, 
Peter King and his family will be popping a bottle of champagne or two because he's copped a bit of criticism over the last you know, year or so and he's delivered today. Yeah, really good cost cutting. And look, those uh, divestments will help the cost side. And sometimes when things get a bit more tough, it's all about uh, tightening the belt. And uh, if you can cut away some of the fat, it's a good result. Julia Lee, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. That's Julia Lee of Burman Invest. Joining me now is Chris Joy from Coolavar Capital. Chris has been a very good predictor of what's going on in markets for a long time. Uh, but lately, uh, he's got, from what I can see, from uh, some of the headlines in his uh, recent stories, he's uh, getting a bit negative. Um, I, I suspect it could be a little bit of ADD, attention deficit disorder. And so he's gone from being positive to negative. But let's just see whether... It's really just um, him observing the facts historically and accurately. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, mate. You have ADD, attention deficit disorder, and therefore you're going really negative. So people say, hey, go, go listen to Chris Joy. No, mate, I'm uh, just calling it as I see it, brother. Yeah, I thought so. Still, we got to add a bit of comedy into our business uh, communications. You know that. I know that. Okay, let's go through then some, some interesting. Today's story, you, you've invoked the images of the big short. What did you do that for? Well, <clears throat> since last year, in December last year, we got very negative on everything. So uh, equities, interest rates, credit, crypto, and property. Um, and we had a bunch of forecasts that we released in December. <clears throat> Um, the market was saying the Fed would only increase its cash rate to 1.3%. We said they need to go to 25 to 3% because of inflation. And the market's come to that view. The market's now pricing in a Fed fund rate of 2.9%. We said the Fed would hike at least seven times this year. The market in December was only pricing in three hikes. They're now pricing in 10. Late last year, we said we thought US equities would fall 30 to 60% over the uh, <clears throat> next year or two. And uh, thus far, the S&P 500, I think, is down about 14 15%, and the NASDAQ is down about 25%. We said that Bitcoin was going to crash. At that time, Bitcoin was at 52,000 US. Today it's trading at 36,000 and it's been as low as 29K this year. And we also said we thought the RBA would start lifting rates in the second half of this year. And if they lifted rates more than 100 basis points, we think house prices will fall 15 to 25%. So there are our views, mate. Okay, how, how, when you say house uh, values will fall 1.5 trillion, it was a story this week, what's that percentage? Yeah, so the total value of Aussie residential property, according to the ABS, is just shy of 10 trillion. And that's the lower bound of our forecast interval. If the RBA lifts rates by more than 100 bips, 
which uh, they are saying they will do. <clears throat> this week, Phil Lowe said uh, they expect to lift rates by at least 250 bips. So what that means for viewers is, you know, your current discounted variable rate home loan is around 2%, and you'd be going potentially to 4.5%. And that's assuming the banks don't add on further hikes, which I think they will do. Um, <clears throat> we, we have very sophisticated models for predicting the housing market. They've been very accurate since we started doing this in 2007. Um, I think we have a well sort of acknowledged track record uh, as being the most analyst, uh, accurate analysts of the, uh, the housing market um, uh, in, in the land. And uh, the RBA also has its own model for the Aussie housing market. Um, and we've actually updated their model. And according to, to their internal model, which accounts for everything, population growth, incomes, rates, um, building approvals, and so on. According to their model, uh, a one percentage point increase in mortgage rates <clears throat> would reduce house prices by 33%. Now, mate, do you remember what the RBA cash rate was in mid-2019? I'm gonna I'm gonna pull an Anthony Albanese on you, buddy. Okay. Um, mid-2019. Well, I, I know uh, I know home loan rates in mid-19 was a little little bit over four percent. Yeah, that's probably about about right. So yeah, I actually looked at the cash rate, I guess, would have been about three. No. So the, the RBA cash rate in June 2019 was 1.5%. And if, if you have listened to anything, this is the part of the conversation to focus on. So the RBA's cash rate was about 1.5% or was 1.5% uh, in June 19. And they started cutting the cash rate that year. And because of the pandemic, <clears throat> they reduced the cash rate to 0.1%. Take a guess. Uh, well, importantly, mortgage rates, as a result of the RBA's cash rate falling, mortgage rates also fell by one to one and a half percentage points. So mortgage rates were probably around three and a half percent at the discounted level. You were talking about the, the standard rate, uh, which was right, that was about four and a half. Um, For existing home. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's right. So, but your discounted variable rate basically went from about three and a half to two, right? Yeah. So that 1.5 percentage point reduction had a huge impact on purchasing power. So take a guess, uh, Peter, I'm sorry to kind of turn the interview on its head. Right. I don't mind playing guessing games. Yeah, so take a guess at what, uh, or by how much Aussie house prices have increased since June 2019, when the cash rate was last at 1.5%. So what's been the growth between yeah, the I think now. Sydney is around 50, isn't it? Yeah, that's probably right. But across Australia, <clears throat> overall, house prices are up uh, a pretty astonishing 37%. Oh, that's that yep. Yeah, has nothing to do with population growth because our population hasn't been growing. Okay. It hasn't got anything to do with you know, building approvals because they've been healthy. It's only got to do with incomes and interest rates. So if the RBA cut the cash rate from one half to near zero, which is where we were before the hike this week. And if they're telling us they're gonna to go to two and a half, and let's just say, forget two and a half, let's just assume they go to one and a half. 
it would make sense that we would be giving back the gains. So the 37% increase in house prices that we got when they cut mortgage rates by 1.5%, if mortgage rates are going to increase by 1.5%, there has to be some payback. Now, the models say 33%. Our forecast is more modest, a 15 to 25% drop. It might, it might sound alarming, but in 2017, where the, when the banks were cracking down on lending to property investors. Especially Wagyu beef eaters and uh, grains drinkers like you. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm actually a teetotaler, but nonetheless. Um, so people probably forget that in 2017, uh, earlier that year, we said we thought house prices would fall by 10%. And they actually fell nationally by 10% between 2017 and mid-19. Yeah, Bill Shorten helped you there too. Yeah, and, and we saw house price falls of you know five to ten percent in 2008, five to 10% between 2010 and 2012. So I don't think anyone should be alarmed. I think this will be a very orderly correction. It may only be 15 percentage points. And remember, for homeowners, they're up 37%. So it's just a bit of payback. Okay, um, okay, okay. Now explain that really well. Explain really well. But now it's time for a bit of a debate. Right. I want to talk equities, mate, because you're an yeah, equity. Yeah, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to equities. Uh, I'm this a, is I'm a really important. There's a pivotal issue you and I have to debate. First of all, you said the cash rate has to go to 2.5% or uh, around that mark. One and a half, one and a half as well. All right, one and a half. But you, you said that the Reserve Bank governor said 25 He did, many times. The key question is over what time period? Two years, three years? Yeah, so... Unfortunately um, for us or for homeowners, um, he actually said that the market expected the RBA to lift the cash rate to between one and a half and one and three quarter percent by the end of this year. Yeah, that's correct. He's not going to do that. Yeah. He won't do that. And, and many, well, I'd say most economists are forecasting they do exactly that. Goldman yeah. Sachs, wait a second, Goldman Sachs, I think this is fucking, excuse my French, I think this is nuts. The Goldman Sachs, Sachs is saying that they're going to get to 2.6% by the end of this year. That would mean that your variable mortgage rate would go from 2 to 4.6%. Crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. As, as Manuel said, said about uh, Basil Fawlty, Mr. Fawlty, he's crazy. That's not going to happen. But, but your point about time is actually super important because this is one of the mitigants I offer up. And the mitigate is time because wages growth is strong. It's probably running at three to four percent. And the longer the RBA gives us to adjust to higher rates, the less the house price falls will be. That's really important to understand. So I think they should go slow and steady. I don't think there's yep. any inflation crisis. They, um, you know, just to give you the numbers, uh, Phil Lowe has been governor of the RBA <clears throat> since September 2016. Now, his target for inflation is 2.5% a year. And in his term, inflation has averaged about 1.6%. Or even, and that was before the recent data, so the inflation print that we got the other week, <clears throat> he's averaging right now 1.7%. So he's missed his target for the last seven to eight years. And, um, uh, you know, we're now for a very short period of time, as in for the last two quarters, he has been overshooting his target by a bit. 
But I don't think there's any inflation crisis right now. Okay. Now, all right. So let's talk about your outlook for inflation. My view is that in Australia... Well, actually, I'd rather talk about equities, mate. I want to get to that because I think it's this. There's two, two views. I don't think the Australian inflation will get anywhere near US, all right? That's my view. You can, you can tell me if I'm wrong later. I agree with you. Yep. Yeah. Okay. When we get, say, into the, the beginning of the December quarter, I reckon internationally, inflation is going to be coming down. I think China will be our lockdown. So some of their supply chain problems will bring inflation down. I'm hoping that Ukraine will have some kind of solution so oil prices will be down. So I don't think it's, it's too big a stretch to believe that the high inflation we're seeing globally will be lower come the start of December quarter. I think but, you're certainly going to be right. Okay, I agree. Pardon? You agree. agree, right. And so that, that makes me then think these ridiculous expectations that the Fed will raise 10 times is excessive. It may well be six or seven, as you said. Now, when that happens then... I, I would say uh, the discounted value on tech stocks has been ex exaggerated. It's, and so some tech stocks might get bought again later this year on the basis that it was an excessive expectation about interest rate rises. Now, is that too, too big a stretch? This is the problem I have with your argument. <clears throat> this screenshot, uh, this site is a cyclically adjusted price earnings multiple over the last 140 years for the S&P 500. And right now, as of this morning, we're at 33 times. So it's US stocks are trading at 33 times earnings. And over the long run, they've traded at about 16 to 17 times. So basically back down around here. To get from here to here, you're talking about a 50% drop in US equities. So yeah. the question is, why did we go in circuit 2008 from here to here? And what is a reasonable level? for US equities and specifically what sort of growth assumptions should we make? I think US equities need to normalize or mean revert back to a much more reasonable price earnings multiple between 20 and 25 times. This is on a cyclically adjusted basis. Yep, that'd be great. So it, we're talking about this little band around here, right? This band here. For that to happen, the S&P 500 needs to fall another 20 to 35 percentage points just to get back down here and possibly more if we go down to 10 to 15 times. So I think inevitably the growth in PEs and the growth in equities, particularly post the pandemic period, was really fueled by this view that um, uh, interest rates will remain low for long. Low interest rates means low discount rates. That means <clears throat> when you discount the present value of your future earnings on a company, the value of the company goes up, right? Now, the discount rate most people will use to value stocks, the core risk-free rate, as it's known, is the US 10-year Treasury yield. That yield in December last year was 1.3%. Historically, it's been kind of, over the long run, anywhere from 4 to 6%. Yeah. It needs to normalise. <clears throat> Again, last year, we said it's going to north of 3.2%. Last night, it traded at 3.1%. The second threat um, that we, I think, have with US uh, equities and stocks generally is that there are very high growth assumptions priced into future earnings. And we think that there's a real risk we could get a US recession. 
uh, <coughs> late next year or in early 24. We've, be, we've actually built a model to predict the probability of US recessions. And my colleague, Kieran Davies, has published a paper on Livewire about this. I've also published uh, an article on Livewire, you can see here, about, about why we think uh, stocks are going to fall another 20 to 35%, and all the evidence underpinning that. But our US recession probability uh, prediction model <clears throat> has done a very good job of calling every US recession in the past. So this is going back to 1950. The gray segments are US recessions. The blue line is our model prediction. And you can see it spikes every time there's a recession. And right now it's spiking. So the spike is actually here. This 33% number, <clears throat> every time our probability for the US has gone above 30%, historically, there's <clears throat> always been a US recession. So I think the risk is we get a hard landing in the US. The risk is the Fed goes too hard and too fast. Um, I agree with you. I think US inflation will absolutely be decelerating uh, in a year because there's so many one-off effects in the inflation data. But the problem we have, mate, the existential crisis all investors face is we have the highest wage growth in the US since the 1980s. We have the highest core inflation since the 1980s. And we have the highest inflation expectations since the 80s. And there's clear evidence that wages are feeding into the cost of producing goods and services and therefore inflation. And we're getting a wage price spiral. And the only way to stop that <clears throat> is by crushing, crushing demand through higher rates. And we effectively end up in uh, what is another recession we have to have, to borrow the words of Paul Keating, okay. April, April the 91 recession. So yeah, yeah. I, I, just want, I just want to make one thing clear. I do think it's possible that we do have a very benign normalization in inflation, which is what you, which is kind of the state of nature you're yeah. sketching out. But I think that the probability of that very benign uh, world is uh, low, and the high probability contingency is one in which the Fed is going to do exactly what it says it's going to do, even though inflation is gradually decelerating, and we do get uh, substantially lower U.S. earnings and a very big correction in equities. The, the one thing I find about your incumbent brilliance that you're stuck with, you know, this is something that you've been born with this unbelievable brilliance that then leads you to produce those great um, uh, models that I totally think you're, you're on the money with, okay? But the, 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 the question I have to ask you is this, um, and I've got to say, when my clients ask me what I think is going to happen, my argument was I, I think there could be a, uh, a comeback of the stock market late 23, uh, late 22, uh, across 2023. But I would, I would want to get defensive in 23 because I, I think 24 could be really tricky. That's what I've been saying. So in a sense, your charts show that, that we just don't know what the timeline will be 100%. For that. 100%. And, 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 we don't know right, the timeline. Yeah. Okay. And, and what's critical then is how fast the Fed raises interest rates. Because if they don't raise really fast, they might end up with an inflation problem. But they, but, but they might not, Chris, because one thing that's been structurally taken out of the inflation model over the last two years is the, the digital interruption from right around the world. Uh, like, for example, 
it's not just digital interruption. It's the it's the, the like our economies have become very um, home based, right? So we haven't got foreign workers here uh, because of the pandemic. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and and at the moment, a lot of uh, employees are telling you and me, I want to work from home. But a lot of employees are saying, right, okay, well, I'm going. If you want to work from um, from um, um, Coffs Harbour, I'll, I'll see if a worker in the Philippines wants to take your job. And so what I'm saying is that there's going to be, I think, a lot of outsourcing of uh, wage co costs to other parts of the world over the next year or two. And that could actually do two things. It could um, you know, in, uh, have impacts on unemployment rates and it could also have impacts on inflation rates as well. And I think that could actually delay the, the inevitable, what you're pointing about. And also, you know, the reason why the stock market went so high was interest rates were ridiculously low and therefore valuations can get to stupid levels. We've got to come back, but I don't think we're going to get to a 6% a 10 year US rate for quite some time. What do you think? That, that um, I think, is believable. I think there's a lot of merit in what you say. I think a lot of what you say sounds a little aspirational. I think what we hear or what we see right now is a world uh, where most developed countries have highly synchronized or co-integrated or concurrent um, uh, wage booms, inflation booms. We have supply chain problems all around the world. <clears throat> a lot of these things are structural. So one example is because of the geopolitical conflicts and rising tensions that we forecast many years ago between China and the US and China and the West more generally, uh, pretty much most of the Western world is with, withdrawing their supply chains from China and they're rebuilding them at home. And that's highly inflationary. Similarly, uh, <clears throat> the ESG and net zero movements, which have basically prevented people allocating capital to fossil fuel industries, has meant those industries have not been able to invest in supply. So when we need energy, it's been very expensive. Uh, <clears throat> I think another corollary of that thematic has been that we're producing renewable energy, but that renewable energy can also be very expensive to produce. Um, and, and then we just do seem to have rolling supply side shocks. First, it was the you know, round one of the pandemic. Then we have multiple uh, rounds of additional lockdowns. We've seen China and Ukraine. Um, now the COVID lockdowns, sorry, not China and Ukraine, Russia and Ukraine. Now the COVID lockdowns in China. So. Uh, to my mind, we are um, observing a point in time where we have a <clears throat> fracturing of the geopolitics and we have a deglobalization process uh, underway, particularly where the, the supply chains in the world, which were dominated by China, uh, are getting reallocated around the rest of the world. Uh, at the same time, we have this aspiration uh, to be reliant on sustainable energy sources. And that transition <clears throat> is likely to be very, very expensive. So I see a lot of sources of inflation, coupled with, of course, you know, most countries around the world have extraordinarily tight labour markets, which means very, very low unemployment rates. Um, and all roads seem to lead to some sort of global, synchronised wage price spiral <clears throat> that is likely to be stubborn and persistent for some time. I do think the headline rates and the core rates will will come down as some of the one-off factors that you uh, referenced um, attenuate. But I think the central banks um, are very, very focused in ensuring 
the um, big jump in inflation expectations. We're all talking about inflation. <clears throat> We're all talking about the cost of living. We obviously have an election where economic management is a key issue. You know, which uh, party, which government is going to be a more responsible steward of the economy? It's been a long time since we've seen the federal government um, run a balanced budget. I mean, the last surpluses were before the GFC. Um, and I can't remember the last time we, I think post GFC, if I rack my brain, <clears throat> the last time we ran a balanced budget at the federal level was when Scott Morrison was treasurer, uh, if memory serves. So, so these are rare events. And uh, yeah, mate, I think uh, this inflation problem will be persistent, but I am partial to your views uh, that there will be some normalization. I'm also very partial to, I think, a, a profound point you made, which is regarding the timing. Nobody knows the timing, not the Fed, not the RBA. Um, they will ultimately be driven by the data. And I think it is plausible that we could get a risk rally in the second half of the year. Um, at the same time, you know, as a, um, a dilution of risk appetite in late 2023. Um, my sense, though, is the US economy is probably going to go into recession uh, and the Fed is going to have to go um, hard and fast. Uh, eight of the last 11 uh, Fed hiking cycles have ended in recession. Um, soft landings are very rare. It is possible. I want to really emphasize we, we could have a soft landing and that would be great. Like right now in my portfolio, I have $2.5 billion of shorts. So we're shorting credit, betting on credit spreads widening in the US, in Europe, and in Australia in our long short strategies um, and trying to profit from uh, you know, a higher cost of capital, higher interest rates, and, and wider spreads. Um, but if you know, there was any clear evidence for whatever reason that US wages and US core inflation were rolling over, then I'd be cutting those shorts and getting long because I agree with you. If the benign path that you sketch out where we get this mean reversion in inflation comes to fruition, that'll be incredibly good news for risk and for equities. Okay, mate. Fantastic. Thanks for your observation. As always, very insightful. And uh, I've got to say, I've, I used to say this to Steve Keen when he made predictions I didn't want to hear. I used to say to him, and I hope you're wrong. Well, the difference between Steve Keen and I is he has been relentlessly wrong. Um, <laughs> The same doesn't apply, unfortunately, or for better or worse, uh, to some of uh, our estimates. I mean, we were very bullish on house prices to be clear made during the pandemic. So we called uh, a very shallow uh, correction in prices between March and September 2020. We said a 0% to 5% drawdown. They only fell 2.1%. And in March 2020, we said prices would rise 20% after September 2020. And that's exactly what happened. Um, but unfortunately, the data now tells us that the RBA is going to raise rates, I think, too quickly and get to what, 150 basis points, probably you know, by the end of the year or early next year. <clears throat> and unfortunately, we're gonna have to pay back some of those 37 percentage points of capital gains that we captured when the cash rate went from 150 back down to you know, 10, and it's now gonna bounce back to 150 and possibly higher, hopefully not higher. Okay, thanks for joining us. Thanks, mate. And that was Chris Joy. I hope he hasn't spooked you too much. My next guest is Anne Dawes of Shaw and Partners. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Fantastic to be here, Peter. It's probably been a month since I've been here with uh, some of the holidays and Anzac Day and all that kind of stuff. So I've really missed you. Yeah, did you have COVID as well in, in between? <laughs> 
No. No. But, you know, everyone, it's a badge of honour these days, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a bit left out myself, I've got to admit, but I don't mind being left out. Let's get let's cut to the chase. Um, yeah. are, are a lot of your clients uh, worried about what's going on in the market right now? If so, what are you saying to them? Yeah, look, absolutely. It, it is really tough. The volatility is really, really uh, unnerving a lot of investors. And certainly when you see the NASDAQ and, and the Dow Jones falling, and then you get the six o'clock news at night talking about how, you know, billions of dollars have been wiped off the market. It really does un, unnerve or unsettle people, which has really been a tough one. Look, I think this is where us as full service advisors really um, earn our stripes. Mm. This, this, is, this is where and how we can help clients. And, and the way we do that, obviously, is by a lot of handholding, but also just sort of talking them off the ledge a bit. Don't making them panic. Don't let them panic. We know that this is going to uh, pass. We understand that these things happen. And yes, interest rates are going higher. We've talked about this on this show for many months that this is going to happen. Now it's starting to happen. We know that inflation is high. It is going to be maintained. And wage growth, hopefully, can get uh, not out of the bottle as well. So all of those things put together it does unnerve clients. We have been, uh, been buying or looking at some of the tech stocks. But certainly uh, the resource stocks have been a great hedge against inflation at the moment. And I'm really loving the defensive part of the market. Amcor and Transurban looking fantastic as well, which is always a staple in our portfolios. Yeah. Okay, mate. Well, that's good. And, and I guess the, the, the fair point is that a lot of this negativity is based on the expectation that central banks may well go too far, too hard, too fast with the interest rate rises. And, and I'm maintaining the argument that if they actually get it right, if they actually you know, raise rates at the right pace, and they don't create the potential for a recession, the market will say, oh, gee, we, we were too negative uh, in the middle of the year. Maybe it's time to buy some of these stocks that we've trashed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And there's been a lot of stocks that have been really hit pretty hard, which is really tough for a lot of investors. You know, the, the likes of zero down 45%. I mean, it's in the tech space, but does it warrant that much? You know, Domino's um, almost halving uh, as well. Um, probably doesn't warrant that much. There's probably a little bit of value. And that's what I think we, you people don't understand is this is where the value is started to be created in these markets. Mm -hmm. And moving forward, it certainly does look like that. Wage growth, I think, is the issue that we're going to need to be mindful of. In the US, I heard a stat today that there's 1.9 jobs for every one person that's looking for a job out there. So basically, there's two jobs for every one person that's unemployed. Mm. So that means that wage pressure is going to start to really bite. And I think that could be a bit of an issue going forward. But look, inflation and interest rates, hopefully they can get it right. Uh, and uh, potentially it will be lower for longer. So, mm. you know, it won't be 19%. It won't be 10%. Maybe we get to sort of 5%. Uh, but that's certainly uh, historically, that's still quite low. Uh, amongst what's going on around the world. I hope you're talking home loan rates rather than cash rates then, but still I won't... I won't... Rates. That's all that matters, doesn't it? That's right, exactly. Um, uh, let's just run through some uh, interesting stocks. And these are stocks that people have asked me about on our Boom, Doom and Zoom show on Thursdays for our Switzer um, uh, report um, subscribers. And, and one that you know people like you on this program have talked about before, what do you think of IDP education? Is it in the right spot uh, or, or is it still going to face a bit of trouble? Yeah, look, it, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you, you sort of see IDP and you sort of think, well, you know, potentially education uh, has, has run its course. I mean, potentially there's, there's more 
of um, there's there's a lot of colleges out there. But look, I think IDP is an interesting one. They've got a lot of the English language side of things. Um, I think there's a lot of value down here on this one. Um, it is a tough one though because you, I sort of see it as um, you know COVID. It shouldn't have really traded where it was, and it always trades at a real premium to yeah. to the rest of that potentially that sector and even the market. But I do think that there's a little bit of tailwind that this one can happen is. So, look, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I wouldn't be selling it if you hold it, but I'd be waiting to wait for this sellout to, or this sell-off to, to potentially ease before you get back into this one. I think that there's probably still some more selling to go. Uh, but, yeah, look, the tailwinds are definitely behind this business going forward. Yeah, the interesting thing is that people have made the point that um, COVID actually opened up this business to a whole lot of people who might never looked at it. And so therefore, if you, if you take away the big hump and the benefit during COVID, its upward trend should be better because they've now got a new access to new, new um, potential customers. Let's go to Web Central, WCG. Don't know much about, what do you think? Well, it's the old uh, Melbourne IT business. Oh, of course, yeah. And so you should know a little bit about that yeah, one. Yeah, you're right. Um, but look, you, you can change the name, but you can't really uh, change the business too much. Look, an interesting one. Um, I'd be careful on this one. I'd be very, very cautious um, going forward. They've said that they're going to get an EBITDA of around about um, unaudited uh, year to date, um, EBITDA of 11 mil and, and, and doing a guidance for the full year of 2022 to 17 to 18 and a half mil. Um, yeah, I don't know if they'll get there, but look, it's an interesting one. They've got sort of They've got some um, interesting um, launches and they've got the .au business, which they're, they're launching, which is quite looks quite interesting as well. But they've got some unmarketable parcels of shares that they're going to try and get rid of or tidy up that shareholder base. So I think that's the right thing to do. And then the board is reviewing a, a capital management business uh, side of things as well. Potentially, if they've got a little bit of cash, they might do a buyback or something like that in there going forward. Uh, but I'll be really careful with this one. They own another 18.5% uh, of another business called Cirrus Networks. And I spoke to the management team on that one the other day. Um, but there's, that means there's a huge overhang because they don't know what to do with that business as well. So okay. I'd be really cautious on Web Central. In fact, I probably would say and avoid. Yeah, okay. It sounds like it's one for the, uh, the thrill seeker. Let's go to Electro Optic Systems EOS. It sounds like a rock group, doesn't it? EOS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, you're the rock group uh, yeah, there, yeah. Peter. But yes, uh, EOS is an interesting one. It's a, um, a business where, uh, well, it's, it's, it's all about defence and uh, artillery and machinery. They did say that uh, the global geotension has really increased inbound or incoming calls into this one as far as that when Russia invaded Ukraine on the 24th of Feb, uh, they've seen a sharp increase in inquiries from existing NATO customers as well as their allies. Um, but they are looking at a strategic review going forward. Again, that word strategic review to maximise profit, diversification uh, and resilience. Uh, it's an interesting one. But um, this one is this one is a business that only trades by appointment. So in other words, if there's a really good announcement, uh, the stock will rally, but then continue to fall back. And it's been a really, really tough one going forward. So. For this one, again, it would be an avoid from me mm. unless there is some clear path to getting some of these larger contracts that they've always talked about. Mm. Um, but yeah, for me, um, it, it's one that I would be avoiding. I don't really see there's too much strategy in there being a, for a portfolio stock. Again, again, it's probably one of those ones that's a bit of a thrill seeker stock. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds it like a thrill seeker to me. 
One last one. This, this could be for the thrill seeker as well, though I, I do think it's a good company. That's Megaport, MP1. It's a, it's a tech stock. And I, when people ask me, I just say, well, look, if you're prepared to wait six or maybe nine months, you might get a pleasant surprise. What do you think? Yeah, look, I, we really like this one. We've been buying it in, and putting it in clients' portfolios. So I'm going to say it's a buy because yeah. down here at eight bucks, even lower than eight bucks today, I think that there's some definite value there uh, in this one. Uh, they came out with their quarterly a week or so ago and it was a little bit softer, but I do think that that provides some real good value for this business. Um, the, the, the business as a whole is, is basically ports or mega ports, ports, but basically putting people to the cloud and, then, and that, 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 that isn't going to go away. That is a fantastic business going forward. So they're getting some further growth. We do see that the fourth quarter results should come through. There's, there's a bit of seasonality with this. So the fourth quarter should come through. But look, it's just getting hit with the tech side of things. <laughs> it sure is. It's just really impossible. But I, I'm going to say a, a buy on yeah. Megaport. We really like this one. I should share with you in case you, you haven't been watching the TV program as close as you should that Eleanor Swanston, the portfolio manager at Firetrail, she likes the company. When Bevan's uh, Slattery sold down some of his show, they bought it after the bad news. They still said they like the company and they're doing a fair bit of research on the company. They still like it. So, uh, but as I say, it will take time for us to look like real, being really smart. But I do think yeah. it's a good company. I do think it's a good company. Yeah, absolutely. A great company. Well run. Management's good. Uh, yeah, we're really, really comfortable with it. And, you know, their, their claim to fame is that, that, you know, if you go to Telstra to get to the cloud, uh, can take up to three months. These guys can do it in 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that that alone sold me on it. And then obviously, yeah, you've got the Bevan Slattery effect and all these kinds of other things that go with it. But down here at under eight bucks, I, you know, I mean, hopefully the selling starts to subside a little bit and some of these tech stocks are going to look very good value at the moment. Okay. I guess our summary of our meeting today, Adam, is, as Buffett would say, be greedy when others are fearful. Absolutely. I like that one. I'll, I'll use that as well. Okay. See you later, mate. Thanks, Peter. That's Adam Dawes of Shore and Partners.